Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Every week we talk about the Bible. I was about to say, we're going to talk about the Bible today, but we're going to talk about the Bible as a whole. We're going to talk about the Old and the New Testament. Um, oftentimes, as, as Christians, we think of, well, you know, Jesus came, and <clears throat> there's all about Jesus in the New Testament, and the Old Testament is a bunch of stories about Israel. But the Bible shows us that they're very much um, related. They're very much the same. The real story of the Bible is one story. And it is that God entered into a blood covenant with man through Christ Jesus, and all who will may enter into that covenant with him. You see, Jesus isn't just someone uh, good who came. He's not just a famous prophet. Jesus uh, is the, the sacrificial lamb. His death and resurrection paid for our sin. And the Bible says in Hebrews 22, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And I'm just going to tell you, today, our topic, when we talk about the atonement and the, the, the blood sacrifice that Jesus made, it is offensive to the world. This whole concept, I will never forget. So many years ago, I used to make little wooden figurines. And I would sell those um, online, and occasionally I would go to like a craft fair. So I went to a craft fair here in Grand Rapids. Uh, it was in uh, a church building, and there were a whole bunch of other <clears throat> crafty people. So there, next to me, there are like knitting things, and there are handmade soaps, and there's all these different uh, crafty things. And I'm listening to the people, and we're in a church building that is a universalist church. If you don't know what a universalist church means, that means everybody gets to heaven somehow. There is no wrong or right answer. Um, they believe that Jesus existed. They believe that the scriptures are, are you know, inspired by God. They may not, not be entirely you know, infallible, but at least you know, God had something to do with it. And I was listening to these two ladies who were who attended this universalist church, and they were talking about, well, one of them attended that church, and one of them attended another one. And, and they were saying, oh, you know, my church, I just love my church so much. You know, last week we had a Buddhist priest come, and he shared with us, and it was so exciting, and, and you know, so far forth. And they were just talking about how everything goes. And then what caught my attention was they said, yeah, oh, I love it too. We have, you know, we've had some of these people, and they were naming off all these different religions that had showed up at their church. And they said, you know, it's good to hear about everything. Oh, it's great to hear about everything. Everything except the blood. And then, the other, oh yeah, not that. And it totally surprised me that these people understood that that is the one thing they could not believe in. Because the Bible tells us that the, it is... Jesus' blood that paid for our sin. And if his blood paid for our sin, then that is necessary. And by definition, a universalist perspective says there is nothing that is necessary. 
Everyone will arrive one way or the other. I want to talk today about how the Old Testament sets up the, 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 the understanding of the blood covenant and what it is that Jesus did for us. In John 5, 39, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Listen to what he says. You search the scriptures, for you believe they give eternal life. Now, in Jesus' time, when he says scriptures, what is he referring to? He's referring to the Old Testament. So he says, you, you've searched the scriptures in the Old Testament and believe they give you eternal life. And the scriptures point to me. Yet you won't come to me so that I can give you eternal life. He says, you're looking in the scriptures for eternal life. And the, the scriptures are pointing to, you, to me. And you don't realize that you should come to me for, re, for eternal life. Five verses later, in verse 45 through 46, he says, Yet it is not I who will accuse you of this to the Father. Moses will. Moses, on whose laws you set your hopes of heaven, for you have refused to believe. Moses wrote about me, but you refused to believe him, so you refused to believe in me. And since you don't believe what he wrote, no wonder you don't believe me either. Jesus was adamant that the Old Testament talked about him. He was adamant. He says, the Old Testament, all that Moses wrote, he was talking about me. He was pointing to me. Some people say, oh, Jesus, he was a good guy. He never claimed to be God. No, he did. He absolutely did. Not only that, he proved that he was the Messiah with the Scriptures. Jesus comments again about them in Luke 24, verse 44 through 47. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he, we're talking about Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ, Messiah, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Now, the word nations right there. When you and I think of nations, we think, you know, U.S., Canada, Mexico, <clears throat> France. That word, though, in Greek is ethnos. What do you think that means? Ethnos. It, it, it actually talks about like every race, every people group, every tribe. That is you and I. Sometimes when people read the, the Old Testament and, and see the example that God put of, of the people of Israel, they get mistaken thinking, well, it must be that God only wanted to save the people of Israel. No, he used the people of Israel to demonstrate how he would save everyone. He says here that forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all ethnos. That's you. This is you in scripture. All nations beginning in Israel, in Jerusalem. Matthew 
5.17 says, Do not misunderstand why I have come. It isn't to cancel the laws of Moses and the warnings of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them and to make them all come true. Luke chapter 24, verse 25 through 27 says, But after walking with them a ways, Jesus said to them, You are such foolish, foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets, what all the prophets wrote in scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his time of glory? Then Jesus quoted them, listen, passage after passage from the writings of the prophets, beginning with the book of Genesis and going right on through the scriptures, explaining what the passages meant and what they said about himself. Jesus went to the Old Testament and said, there are pictures, types, symbols of me in the Old Testament over and over and over again. The famous theologian St. Augustine said, the new, speaking of the Testament, he said, the new is in the old contained, the old is in the new explained. He said, the new, which would be Jesus' death, resurrection, and the story of Jesus, is in the old contained, it's there, and the old is in the new explained. Now, I'm going to do something here for a second. I want to show you a picture of Jesus in every one of the 66 books of the Bible. Now, to do that, we won't be able to go in detail. I actually wrote a poem. So, get ready. Jesus in every book of the Bible in rhyme. Jesus is in every book, each one without falter. In Genesis, he is the ram placed on Abram's altar. Every Bible author portrays the great I am. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our very own high priest, and with him as intercessor, we are never least. In Numbers, we discover he is the cloud by day and the fiery pillar when the sun's away. A city of refuge in Deuteronomy, an escape from judgment is what he can be. In Joshua, he is pictured by the scarlet thread without which Rahab and her kin would have been dead. In Judges, we discover he is our final judge. Because of Jesus, he does not hold a grudge. Our Kingsman Redeemer can be seen in Ruth. Every book of God's word reproclaims his truth. He is our trusted prophet in First and Second Sam. Every book gives a picture of the great I Am. Kings and Chronicles record his mighty deeds. We see our reigning king, Let's follow where he leads. In Ezra, we see him as our faithful scribe. Each book shows us Jesus with a different vibe. In Nehemiah, he rebuilds the walls that broke or foreshadow of what he did when from the grave he woke. In Esther, he's like Mordecai, seated at the gate, interceding for God's move before it was too late. Job shows our Redeemer, restoring what was lost. His worth is beyond riches, exceeding any cost. In Psalms, he is my shepherd, so I shall not want. Every book prints his name, each in a different font. Proverbs shows his wisdom for ordinary life. 
How to live every day minimizing strife. Ecclesiastes presents a preacher in the room. In Song of Solomon, Jesus is the groom. A suffering servant in Isaiah comes to view. A weeping prophet in Jeremiah is explained to you. Lamentations tells of a man with sorrows many. It isn't like our Savior never suffered any. Jesus is the weeping prophet in Ezekiel, but he did not stay down for he rose after he fell. The king in Daniel saw a fourth man amidst the flames. In our toughest times, he bears our sin and shames. In Hosea, we see that his love always forgives. Even the greatest wrongs can't stop the loves he gives. In Joel, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. It was foretold since days of old, it is not wise to fear it. Amos is not long, but still we see him there. Prophecy foretells of his death, at his death the sun will disappear. Savior is a glimpse we get in Obadiah. Every book gives a fresh look of our Messiah. Jonah spends three days in the belly of a fish. For a better picture of his death, we could not wish. In Micah, he is the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's the avenger of those who have been beat. Habakkuk shows a watchman that ever prays for revival. God wishes for us so much more than our mere survival. In Zephaniah, he is the Lord mighty to save. Because of his redemption, we need not be a slave. In Haggai, through him, our heritage is restored. In Zechariah, his image as a fountain is explored. In Malachi, he is shown with healing in his wings. There are many more pictures than just what this list brings. In Matthew, he is shown to be the begotten Son of God, the one who made the universe in earth and human bod. In Mark, he is the worker of miracles so grand. He raised the dead and healed the sick all throughout the land. In Luke, he is the Son of Man with generations clear. He is God, but also man. He walked here as our peer. In John, he is the door by which we all must pass. In Acts, he is the shining light that knocked Saul off an ass. Romans says, it is through him alone we are justified. Corinthians shows his resurrection onto us applied. In 2 Corinthians, we see him bear our sin. In Galatians, through his redemption, over sin we win. In Ephesians, he is our riches, too vast to comprehend. In Philippians, he supplies our needs, no matter where they extend. The fullness of the Godhead from Colossians can be known. In both Thessalonians, the coming king is shown. In First and Second Timothy, we find revealed God's plan. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. In Philemon, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, shows what his blood did, which is more than any other. If you ever doubted that God's word was about his son, I trust you will not doubt it when this rhyme is done. In James, he is the Lord whose power heals the sick. There are so many names for him from which we can pick. The first, in First and Second Peter, he is shepherd to us all, watching carefully over us to lift us if we fall. The three books of John show how tender is his love. It is unconditional, flowing from above. Revelation prophesies his return to trumpet sound. Upon the Mount of Olives, his feet will touch the ground. As you have now seen, if you know just where to look, Jesus is discussed in every Bible book. <laughs> it should 
excite us to realize that the Bible is connected. The, the stories that we see, the, the things when we read the Old Testament, we're, we're seeing Jesus displayed, demonstrated. If Just think about for a second. If you were planning to send someone to meet someone who had never met them, what would you do? If you intended, you know what, I, I, I'm going to, you know, someone you know is coming to the airport, you can't personally pick them up, you're going to send someone else, what would you do? You'd describe them. You would give them a description of, hey, what is it that you're going to be looking for? Who are you going to be looking for? The Old Testament, over and over and over and over, describes different aspects of what Jesus would be, prophesies what would happen to him, where he would be born. The Bible talks about Jesus from beginning to end. Uh, there's a book I really like. It's called The Scarlet Thread. And, and it speaks about how the blood covenant is the scarlet thread that, that weaves the entire Bible together. It is one story about redemption through a blood covenant. And in the Old Testament, they're establishing what an old, what a covenant is and, and what sin is and what, how a covenant works. When I was in high school, I had a t-shirt that said, God doesn't believe in atheists. Romans 1.20 is the verse that was based on, and it says, Since earliest times, men have seen the earth and sky and all God made and have known of his existence and great eternal power. So they will have no excuse when they stand before God at judgment day. See, God established, he put it in our hearts that he exists. Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Romans 1 verse 19 says, For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put this knowledge in their hearts. Well, why then are there atheists? If, if the understanding, the realization that there is a God, that we are not here by accident, that all that we see is not a random conglomeration of a, of, of a random explosion. You know, you can reject what you know. You can reject what you know. Descartes chose to question even his existence. He was famous for saying, I think, therefore I am. You know, that was his great solution to figuring out, do I exist? Hey, how many of you wonder if you exist? You exist. But let me tell you, if you want to question that, you can. Not only did Descartes get famous for questioning whether he even existed, Bernard Williams then argued that he was wrong. And he's famous for arguing that Descartes was wrong to determine that he did exist. Some people's minds are so open, their brains fall out. The Bible spends very little time, comparatively, 
proving that God exists, even though it does a great job of doing so. It does. The the miracles, the prophecies prove his existence. But what the Bible spends even more time doing is going into depth telling us about God, his son Jesus, and how we can relate to him, and how God initiated an eternal covenant with us, and whoever wills may enter into that covenant. So I want to take some time and talk about what covenant is. The Old and New Testament are the Old and New Covenant. The Hebrew word for covenant is bereth. The Greek word is dytheki. And I'm sure I've pronounced those wrong. It actually means to cut covenant. By definition, it involves cutting of flesh and involves blood. Our Bible is divided between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. A blood covenant between two parties was the most enduring, most solemn, most sacred of contracts and was valid until death. Sound like anything? Malachi chapter 2 verse 14 says, Because God has been witness between you and your wife of your youth, she is your companion and your wife by covenant. You see, marriage is another symbol and image of what God desired us to understand about him. The Bible talks about us being the bride of Christ. Ever notice that? And marriage is that covenant where everything that you each own becomes the other's. Malachi, or Proverbs 2, 16-17 says, The adulteress who flatters with her words leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. It says when, when somebody goes philandering, they're forgetting the covenant they made. God even designed the first intercourse to have blood because of the blood covenant. The Hebrew ritual. Now, we're going to talk about what the covenant looked like. Because the other thing that we have to understand is when the scriptures were written, covenants were a common thing. This is what the ritual looked like. First, they would take off their coat or robe. And they'd give it to the other. This represented giving of myself and pledge that you would do the same to me. Second, they would take off their belt. Now, their belt wasn't to hold their pants up. Their belt was to hold their weapons. So it represented protection, saying, I symbolically give you my strength, support, and protection. Anyone who fights you fights me. Your battles are mine. I will defend and protect you. Third, they would cut the covenant by taking an animal, cutting it down the middle, and laying them down, the pieces, down on the ground, back to back. And then they would walk in a figure eight between those and end by facing each other. And they would be saying that they are dying to themselves. They would point to the two halves and say, may God do the same to me if I ever try to break this covenant, which is the most sacred of pacts. Then they would raise their arm, right arm, and mix their own blood, raising their arm, cutting their palms, bringing them together, and allowing the blood to mingle. As the blood mingled, they would believe their lives mingled and became one life, putting off the old nature and becoming something new. 
Fifth, they would exchange names. They would take the last name or part of the name of the person that they were covenanting with. Sixth, they would have a scar. The scar was to be a bear witness to the covenant they made. If anyone tries to harm us, we can raise our palm and show there is more than meets the eye. In our society, we shake hands but skip the blood. Now, how many of you remember ever heard the famous saying, Dr. Livingstone, I presume? Does that ring any bells? History. So Henry Stanley was an explorer who went throughout Africa. And he's famous for having found you know, one of the only other white men in Africa at the time and say, seeing him and saying, oh, you, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Henry Stanley, less than or around 100 years ago, traveled through there. He made covenant with over 50 tribal leaders during his time less than 100 years ago. It was still a common practice. And, and as he went through, when he would enter into a new area, a new arena, in order to demonstrate that he was not there for anything, he would make a pact with the leader there and say, hey, I'm with you. Whatever I can do for you, I will. Whatever you can do. And he, over 50 times. This is... This isn't something, like, we look at it and say, oh, this is just so old-fashioned, it's just out, can't even fathom it. This has been common in, in humanity, even into this century. The seventh thing we do is give terms. That all I have is yours, your family is my family, my assets, etc., Number eight, they would eat a memorial meal. To complete the covenant union, in place of the animal and blood, we have bread and wine. The Bible, in the Bible, the wine is called the blood of grapes. Genesis 4 and 11 says, the bread we feed to each other is symbolic of our bodies. I am now in you and you are in me. Ninth, they would plant a memorial. They would plant a tree and sprinkle it with the blood of the animal. And they would say, we are now friends. All our children are included in the covenant, even the unborn ones. When they come to an age of understanding, they can choose to stay in or reject that covenant. Now, the reason I, I shared all that is because I want, we have to understand, that was normal understanding to the people in the scriptural times. And so when different aspects of a covenant were referenced in a stories and when happening, they didn't necessarily spell everything out every time. Why? Because everybody knew, hey, this is, this is how that works. In the Old Testament, we have many examples of covenants. The Bible says that Abraham cut covenant with Abimelech, who was a king. Jacob cut covenant with Laban, his uncle. Remember David and Jonathan? Jonathan was the king's son. Jonathan was the heir to the throne. David had been prophesied over as being the future king. And Saul wanted him dead. But in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 9, Jonathan and David enter a covenant relationship. Saul tells the whole family that David is out to get him and he wants her throne and he, he will kill you if he has the chance. But Jonathan doesn't see him that way. 
they enter a covenant. Saul even tries to spear Jonathan for trying to defend David. Saul and Jonathan both eventually die in battle. But first, Jonathan had a son. His name was Mephibosheth. When Saul and Jonathan died, the family, listening to Saul's advice, believed that they were all in danger because it was a practice at that time. If, if one king died, the new king would eliminate all of his heirs so that nobody had a legitimate claim to the throne. So the nurse that was watching little baby Mephibosheth grabbed him and tried to run and hide him. And the Bible says that she dropped him. And he became lame for the rest of his life. But he then was kept hidden as he grew up. All you can imagine told the story. Well, why can't I walk? Why do I have such a... Th- well, because we were trying to get away before they killed you. Well, you're lucky that you can, you're even alive. Why? Because the king wants you dead. But here's what's interesting. David had made a covenant relationship with Jonathan. And that extended as family to his kids. But Mephibosheth didn't know. David eventually hears the rumor that there is a member of Jonathan's family still alive. David calls for him. You can imagine how Mephibosheth felt. He was afraid. He'd been told this man wants you dead his whole life. He shows up. And David invites him to be a permanent invitee at the king's table. He says, you are my family. He wants to be in relationship with him. This is a picture of God and us. David is like God, the king, who loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. We are like Mephibosheth. Many of us have been misinformed. We don't recognize that the king wants what's best for us. We see him as a distant, possibly hostile person, but in fact, he wants us to be there. We look and say, God, well, God doesn't want us to have any fun. But when the Holy Spirit finds us, he invites us to come back and we get to choose. It wasn't because of anything that Mephibosheth had done that David wanted a relationship with him. It was because he didn't have to earn it, did he? Did did he have to be a certain level of handsome, a certain level of athletic? Did he have to be a certain level of anything? Not at all. Not at all. There was a covenant with him, period. You're in. There was a blood covenant with his father, and he said, if you want it, It's yours. But we have to choose. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel 
and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband to them, said the Lord. But this shall be a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall know me from the least of them unto the greatest, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. First Peter 1, 18 through 20 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from our ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. Now, this is Peter preaching and explaining the new covenant to all of these people who grew up understanding the old covenant. Understanding the, 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 the Old Testament view of the need every year to have an animal sacrificed so that your sins could be atoned for. And when Peter said that it is Jesus' precious blood, and when he said Christ was the Lamb, what did they understand? They grew up going each year. And depending on their, their economic status, they would, they would sacrifice either a pigeon or, or a lamb or a dove. Or a lamb. They would have to sacrifice an animal. And they heard the stories about the, the Israelites in Egypt. And how there was the angel of death coming. But everyone who put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts were spared the judgment. How the blood of the lamb had saved those people from judgment. And when Peter began to speak about Jesus and, and demonstrate those connections, it, it made sense to them. He was explaining, giving value to the old understanding. And when... When we look in Scripture, we start to see many of those same things in the covenant expressed here. They took off a robe. Galatians 4.4 4 says that Jesus, well, first it says Jesus was born of a woman. So his blood had no sin. Isaiah 61.3 says, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair that God gave a garment. So he exchanged clothing, one of the steps in a covenant. Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. 
Remember that the belt represented protection. Matthew 4, 6 says, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up with their hands so that they will not strike your foot against a stone. The Bible talks about the, the, the cutting of the covenant. Matthew 26, 26 to 28 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, Drink, it from, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood the, of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. Now, when we, we do that each time that we're taking communion and we hear those words and we talk about this is my body and this is my blood, when they, he broke it in half. But if you grew up in a time that understood covenants, what did that mean to you? You saw that and you understood that Jesus was talking about the new, and he made it clear. He says, this is my blood of my new covenant. But as, as, as people who don't covenant knowingly, marriage is a covenant. We don't see the depth that is being explained there. There's the exchange of names in March 16, 17. It says, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. See, God says, my name is now yours. The authority that comes in my name, I give that to you because we are in a covenant with them. There's the scar. John 20, 26 through 27 says, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came to the door being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand over here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Jesus is scarred as evidence of his covenant with us. John 20, 22 says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us is like the scar, the constant reminder that we are in covenant with him. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Hebrews 13, 20, 21 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ. Just notice that covenant, covenant just keeps coming up. They give the, the, the covenant terms. There was the memorial meal in a covenant. I believe the disciples recognized the significance of the last meal as, as being related to the covenant. And when he was speaking to them about covenant terms and saying, this blood is my covenant, they understood, hey, this is part of it. And when they would plant a tree and sprinkle blood at the base of it, Jesus, who bore our sins, was hung on a tree. 
Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him. And I will sup with him and he with me. That is the invitation to us to come and enter into covenant with him. I don't quite have time to go in and, and, and break down. Maybe we'll continue talking about this. I think with six pages of notes, seven pages of notes, I can probably continue next week talking about breaking down the covenant of Abraham. What I, what I want us to, to leave with today is, is a renewed image of what the Bible as a whole looks like. The Bible as a whole is one story of a covenant. Of a covenant made and in a covenant improved. And how in God's eyes, he had been setting things up from the beginning all the way through. Jesus is referred to, he's alluded to, he's painted the, the Old Testament over and over and over and over and over Shows pictures. The, the, the poem I, I wrote doesn't cover it all. That's just at least one reference in every book. Genesis has so many different references. But Jesus, I, I want us to, to get that picture of Scripture. And then when we look in it, we recognize it's all about him. And he's all about us. If you know that you have accepted that offer of covenant with Jesus Christ, I want you to raise your hand. You say, I know that I am a part of that covenant. Like Mephibosheth, some of us didn't understand that the king desired relationship with us. Oh, it would be nice to be part of the royal family. Oh, it would be nice, but, but I can't expect that. Given what I've done, what I've seen. No, no way. But the Bible is clear. The Bible says that God created us with a desire for relationship with us. And you know what? It isn't dependent on your behavior. Like Mephibosheth, we have a right to claim covenant relationship. Jesus says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. What's that mean? That means your status as in covenant with Christ is restored. Your, your sins are forgiven. You are right with God. And not only do you benefit the day that you die and spend eternity with him? But you begin even now to walk in covenant with Christ. There is so much to unpack there. But I want, don't want anyone to leave or to, to shut off the, the message today without knowing that you have that relationship. That you are in covenant with God. 
With every eye closed, just want to ask, if there's anybody here today, this morning, that wants to be certain, the Bible tells us, know that you have salvation. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to wait. We can know. So I invite you, right now, one, two, three, just raise your hand, and we will pray that prayer. If there's someone watching online or listening and you want to participate, let's do. Everyone just repeat with me. Say, dear God, I believe that you want relationship with me. That you sent Jesus to die on the cross. That his blood atones for my sin means my sin is paid for I accept that forgiveness I choose to make you the Lord of my life I love you Jesus amen amen well awesome if that was you online please send us a note you can send us a private message you can put a comment uh, just in public if you don't if you prefer but we would like to get a uh, digital gift to you and touch base with you make sure that you know how to continue growing in this relationship with grace go ahead